0: part two of the biography of a grizzly by ernest thompson Seton. this librivox recording is in the public domain part two the days of his strength wahb's third summer had brought him the stature of a large-sized bear though not nearly the bulk and power that in time were his he was very light-colored now and that was why spawat a shoshone indian who more than once hunted him, called him the White Bear, or Wahab. Spawat was a good hunter, and as soon as he saw the rubbing tree on the upper Matitsi, he knew that he was on the range of a big grizzly. He bushwhacked the whole valley and spent many days before he found a chance to shoot. Then Wahab got a stinging flesh wound in the shoulder. He growled horribly, but it had seemed to take the fight out of him. He scrambled up the valley and over the lower hills, till he reached a quiet haunt where he lay down. His knowledge of healing was wholly instinctive. He licked the wound and all around it, and sought to be quiet. The licking removed the dirt, and by massage reduced the inflammation, and it plastered the hair down as a sort of dressing over the wound to keep out the air, dirt, and microbes. There could be no better treatment." But the Indian was on his trail. Before long the smell warned Wahab that a foe was coming, so he quietly climbed farther up the mountain to another resting-place. But again he sensed the Indian's approach and made off. Several times this happened, and at length there was a second shot and another galling wound. Wahab was furious now. There was nothing that really frightened him but that horrible odor of man, iron, and guns that he remembered from the day when he lost his mother. But now all fear of these left him. He heaved painfully up the mountain again and along under a six-foot ledge, then up and back to the top of the bank, where he lay flat. On came the Indian, armed with knife and gun, deftly, swiftly keeping on the trail, gloating joyfully over each bloody print that meant much anguish to the hunted bear straight up the slide of broken rock he came where wahab furious with pain was waiting on the ledge on sneaked the dogged hunter his eye still scanned the bloody slots or swept the woods ahead but never was raised to glance above the ledge and wahab as he saw this shape of death relentless on his track and smell the hated smell poised his bulk at heavy cost upon his quivering mangled arm there held until the proper instant came then to his sound arm's matchless native force he added all the weight of desperate hate as down he struck one fearful crushing blow the indian sank without a cry and then dropped out of sight Wahab rose and sought again a quiet nook where he might nurse his wounds. Thus he learned that one must fight for peace, for he never saw that Indian again, and he had time to rest and recover. The years went on as before, except that each winter Wahab slept less soundly, and each spring he came out earlier and was a bigger grizzly with fewer enemies that dared to face him. When his sixth year came, he was a very big, strong, sullen bear, with neither friendship nor love in his life since that evil day on the lower piney. No one had ever heard of Wahab's mate. No one believes that he ever had one. The love season for bears came and went year after year, but left him alone in his prime as he had been in his youth. It is not good for a bear to be alone it is bad for him in every way his habitual moroseness grew with his strength and anyone chancing to meet him now would have called him a dangerous grizzly he had lived in the matitsi valley since first he betook himself there and his character had been shaped by many little adventures with traps and his wild rivals of the mountains but there was none of the latter that he now feared and he knew enough to avoid the first for that penetrating odor of man and iron was a never-feeling warning especially after an experience which befell him in his sixth year his ever reliable nose told him that there was a dead elk down among the timber he went up the wind and there sure enough was the great delicious carcass already torn open at the very best place true there was that terrible man and iron taint but it was so slight and the feast so tempting that after circling around and inspecting the carcass from his eight feet of stature as he stood erect he went cautiously forward and at once was caught by his left paw in an enormous bear trap he roared with pain and slashed about in fury but this was no beaver trap it was a big forty-pound bear catcher and he was surely caught wahb fairly foamed with rage and madly grit his teeth upon the trap then he remembered his former experiences he placed the trap between his hind legs with a hind paw on each spring and pressed down with all his weight but it was not enough He dragged off the trap and its clog, and went clanking up the mountain. Again and again he tried to free his foot, but in vain, till he came where a great trunk crossed the trail a few feet from the ground. By chance, or happy thought, he reared again under this and made his new attempt. With a hind foot on each spring, and his mighty shoulders underneath the tree, he bore down with his titanic strength. The great steel springs gave way, the jaws relaxed, and he tore out his foot. So Wahab was free again, though he left behind a great toe which had been nearly severed by the first snap of the steel. Again Wahab had a painful wound to nurse, and as he was a left-handed bear, that is, when he wished to turn a rock over, he stood on the right paw and turned with the left, One result of this disablement was to rob him for a time of all those dainty foods that are found under rocks or logs. The wound healed at last, but he never forgot that experience, and thenceforth the pungent smell of man and iron, even without the gun smell, never failed to enrage him. Many experiences had taught him that it is better to run if he only smelled the hunter or heard him far away, but to fight desperately if the man was close at hand. And the cowboys soon came to know that the upper Matitsi was the range of a bear that was better left alone. One day, after a long absence, Wahab came into the lower part of his range and saw to his surprise one of the wooden dens that men make for themselves. As he came around to get the wind, he sensed the taint that never failed to infuriate him now, and a moment later he heard a loud BANG and felt a stinging shock in his left hind leg, the old stiff leg. He wheeled about, in time to see a man running toward the new-made shanty. Had the shot been in his shoulder, Wahab would have been helpless, but it was not. Mighty arms that could toss pine logs like broomsticks, paws that with one tap could crush the biggest bull upon the range, claws that could tear huge slabs of rock from the mountainside, what was even the deadly rifle to them. When the man's partner came home that night, He found him on the reddened shanty floor, the bloody trail from outside, and a shaky, scribbled note on the back of a paper novel told the tale. It was Wahab done it. I seen him by the spring and wounded him. I tried to get on the shanty, but he catched me. My God, how I suffer! Jack!" It was all fair. The man had invaded the bear's country, had tried to take the bear's life, and had lost his own. But Jack's partner swore he would kill that bear. He took up the trail and followed it up the canyon, and there bushwhacked and hunted day after day. He put out baits and traps, and at length one day he heard a crash-clatter thump, and a huge rock bounded down a bank into a wood, scaring out a couple of deer that floated away like thistle-down. Miller thought at first that it was a landslide but he soon knew that it was Wahab that had rolled the boulder over merely for the sake of two or three ants beneath it. The wind had not betrayed him, so on peering through the bush, Miller saw the great bear as he fed, favoring his left hind leg and growling sullenly to himself at a fresh twinge of pain. Miller steadied himself and thought, "'Here goes a finisher or a dead miss.' He gave a sharp whistle, the bear stopped every move, and, as he stood with ears a cock, the man fired at his head. But at that moment, the great shaggy head moved, only an infuriating scratch was given. The smoke betrayed the man's place, and the grizzly made savage three-legged haste to catch his foe. Miller dropped his gun and swung lightly into a tree, the only large one near wahb raged in vain against the trunk he tore off the bark with his teeth and claws but miller was safe beyond his reach for fully four hours the grizzly watched then gave it up and slowly went off into the bushes till lost to view miller watched him from the tree and afterward waited nearly an hour to be sure that the bear was gone he then slipped to the ground got his gun and set out for camp. But Wahab was cunning. He had only seemed to go away and then had sneaked back quietly to watch. As soon as the man was away from the tree, too far to return, Wahab dashed after him. In spite of his wounds, the bear could move the faster. Within a quarter of a mile, well... Wahab did just what the man had sworn to do to him. Long afterward his friends found the gun and enough to tell the tale. The claim shanty on the Matitsi fell to pieces. It never again was used, for no man cared to enter a country that had but few allurements to offset its evident curse of ill luck, and where such a terrible grizzly was always on the warpath. When they found good gold on the upper Matitsi, miners came in pairs and wandered through the peaks, rooting up the ground and spoiling the little streams, grizzly old men, mostly, that had lived their lives in the mountain and were themselves slowly turning into grizzly bears, digging and grubbing everywhere, not for good wholesome roots, but for that shiny yellow sand that they could not eat living the lives of grizzlies asking nothing but to be let alone to dig they seemed to understand grizzly wahab the first time they met wahab reared up on his hind legs and the wicked green lightnings began to twinkle in his small eyes the elder man said to his mate leave him alone and he won't bother you ain't he an awful size though replied the other nervously Wahab was about to charge, but something held him back—a something that had no reference to his senses, that was felt only when they were still, a something that in bear and man is wiser than his wisdom, and that points the way at every doubtful fork in the dim and winding trail. Of course Wahab did not understand what the men said, but he felt that there was something different here. The smell of man and iron was there, but not of that maddening kind, and he missed the pungent odor that even yet brought back the dark days of his cubhood. The men did not move, so Wahab rumbled a subterranean growl, dropped down on his forefeet, and went on. Late the same year, Wahab ran across the red-nosed black bear. How that bear did keep on shrinking! wahb could have hurled him across the gray bull with one tap now but the black bear did not mean to let him try he hustled his fat podgy body up a tree at a rate that made him puff wahb reached up nine feet from the ground and with one rake of his huge claws tore off the bark clear to the shining white wood and down nearly to the ground and the black bear shivered and whimpered with terror as the scraping of those awful claws ran up the trunk and up his spine in a way that was horribly suggestive what was it that the sight of the black bear stirred in wahab was it memories of the upper piney long forgotten thoughts of a woodland rich in food wahab left him trembling up there as high as he could get and without any very clear purpose swung along the upper branches of the Matitsi down to the gray bull, around the foot of the Rimrock Mountain. On, till hours later, he found himself in the timber tangle of the lower piney and among the berries and ants of the old times. He had forgotten what a fine land the piney was. Plenty of food, no miners to spoil the streams, no hunters to keep an eye on, and no mosquitoes or flies, but plenty of open, sunny glades and sheltering woods, backed up by high, straight cliffs to turn the colder winds. There were, moreover, no resident grizzlies, no signs even of passing travelers, and the black bears that were in possession did not count. Wahab was well pleased. He rolled his vast bulk in an old buffalo wallow, and rearing up against a tree where the piney canyon quits the gray bull canyon, he left on it his mark fully eight feet from the ground. In the days that followed, he wandered farther and farther up the rugged spurs of the Shoshones, and took possession as he went. He found the sign boards of several black bears, and if they were small dead trees, he sent them crashing to earth with a drive of his giant paw. If they were green, he put his own mark over the other mark and made it clearer by slashing the bark with the great pickaxes that grew on his toes. The upper piney had so long been a black bear range that the squirrels had ceased storing their harvest in hollow trees and were now using the spaces under flat rocks where the black bears could not get at them. So Wab found this a land of plenty. Every fourth or fifth rock in the pine woods was the roof of a squirrel or chipmunk granary, and when he turned it over, if the little owner were there, Wahab did not scruple to flatten him with his paw and devour him as an agreeable relish to his own provisions. And wherever Wahab went, he put up his signboard, Trespassers, beware. It was written on the trees as high up as he could reach, and every one that came by understood that the scent of it and the hair in it were those of the great grizzly wahab. If his mother had lived to train him, wahab would have known that a good range in spring may be a bad one in summer. Wahab found out by years of experience that a total change with the seasons is best. In the early spring the cattle and elk ranges, with their winter killed carcasses, offer a bountiful feast. In early summer the best forage is on the warm hillsides where the quamash and the Indian turnip grow. In late summer the berry bushes along the river flat are laden with fruit, and in autumn the pine woods gave good chances to fatten for the winter. So he added to his range each year. He not only cleared out the black bears from the piney and the matizzi, but he went over the divide and killed that old fellow that had once chased him out of the Warhouse Valley. And more than that, he held what he had won, for he broke up a camp of tenderfeet that were looking for a ranch location on the Middle Matitsi. He stampeded their horses and made general mash of the camp. And so all the animals, including man, came to know that the whole range from Frank's Peak to the Shoshone Spurs was the proper domain of a king well able to defend it and the name of that king was matitsi wahab any creature whose strength puts him beyond danger of open attack is apt to lose in cunning yet wahab never forgot his early experience with the traps he made it a rule never to go near that smell of man and iron and that was the reason that he never again was caught. So he led his lonely life and slouched around on the mountains, throwing boulders about like pebbles and huge trunks like matchwood, as he sought for his daily food. And every beast of hill and plain soon came to know and fly in fear of Wahab, the one-time hunted persecuted cub. And more than one black bear paid with his life, the ill deed of that other long ago and many a cranky bobcat flying before him took to a tree and if that tree were dead and dry wahab heaved it down and the tree and cat alike were dashed to bits even the proud necked stallion leader of the mustang band thought well for once to yield the road the great Gray timber wolves and the mountain lions, too, left their new kill and sneaked in sullen fear aside when Wahab appeared. And if, as he hulked across the sage-covered river flat, sending the scared antelope skimming like birds before him, he was faced perchance by some burly range bull, too young to be wise and too big to be afraid, Wahab smashed his skull with one blow of that giant paw, and served him as the range cow would have served him long years ago. The All-Mother never fails to offer to her own twin cups, one gall and one of balm. Little or much they may drink, but equally of each. The mountain that is easy to descend must soon be climbed again. The grinding hardship of Wahab's early days had built his mighty frame, All usual pleasures of a grizzly's life had been denied him, but power bestowed in him more than double share. So he lived on year after year, unsoftened by mate or companion, sullen, fearing nothing, ready to fight, but asking only to be let alone, quite alone. He had but one keen pleasure in his somber life, the lasting glory in his matchless strength the small but never-failing thrill of joy as the foe fell crushed and limp, or the riven boulders grit and heaved when he turned on them the measure of his wondrous force. Everything has a smell of its own for those that have noses to smell. Wahb had been learning smells all his life and knew the meaning of most of those in the mountains. It was as though each and every thing had a voice of its own for him, and yet it was far better than a voice for everyone knows that a good nose is better than eyes and ears together and each of these myriads of voices kept on crying here and such am i the juniper berries the rose hips the strawberries each had a soft sweet little voice calling here we are berries berries the great pine woods had a loud far-reaching voice here we are the pine trees. And when he got right up to them, Wahab could hear the low, sweet call of the pinyon nuts. Here we are the pinyon nuts. And the Quamash beds in May sang a perfect chorus when the wind was right. Quamash beds, Quamash beds. And when he got among them he made out a single voice. Each root had its own little piece to say to his nose here i am a big quamash, rich and ripe or a tiny sharp voice here i am a good-for-nothing stringy little root and the broad rich Roosalals in the autumn called aloud i am a fat wholesome mushroom and the deadly amanita cried i am an amanita let me alone or you'll be a sick bear and the fairy harebell of the canyon banks sang a song too as fine as its thread-like stem and as soft as its dainty blue, but the warden of the smells had learned to report it not, for this and a million other such were of no interest to Wahab. So every living thing that moved and every flower that grew and every rock and stone and shape on earth told out its tale and sang its little story to his nose. Day or night, fog or bright, that great moist nose told him most of the things he needed to know or passed unnoticed those of no concern and he depended on it more and more if his eyes and ears together reported so and so he would not even then believe it until his nose said yes that is right but this is something that man cannot understand for he has sold the birthright of his nose for the privilege of living in towns. While hundreds of smells were agreeable to Wahab, thousands were indifferent to him, a good many were unpleasant, and some actually put him in a rage. He had often noticed that if a west wind were blowing when he was at the head of the piney canyon, there was an odd new scent. Some days he did not mind it, some days it disgusted him, but he never followed it up. On other days a north wind from the high divide brought a most awful smell, something unlike any other, a smell that he wanted only to get away from. Wahab was getting well past his youth now, and he began to have pains in the hind leg that had been wounded so often. After a cold night or a long time of wet weather, He could scarcely use that leg, and one day, while thus crippled, the west wind came down the canyon with an odd message to his nose. Wahab could not clearly read the message, but it seemed to say, Come, and something within him said, Go. The smell of food will draw a hungry creature and disgust a gorged one. We do not know why, and all that anyone can learn is that the desire springs from a need of the body so wahb felt drawn by what had long disgusted him and he slouched up the mountain path grumbling to himself and slapping savagely back at branches that chanced to switch his face the odd odor grew very strong it led him where he had never been before up a bank of whitish sand to a beach of the same color where there was unhealthy looking water running down and a kind of fog coming out of a hole. Wahab threw up his nose suspiciously. Such a peculiar smell. He climbed the bench. A snake wriggled across the sand in front. Wahab crushed it with a blow that made the near trees shiver, and sent a balanced boulder toppling down, and he growled a growl that rumbled up the valley like distant thunder. Then he came to the foggy hole. It was full of water that moved gently and steamed. Wahab put in his foot and found it was quite warm and that it felt pleasantly on his skin. He put in both feet and little by little went in farther, causing the pool to overflow on all sides, till he was lying at full length in the warm, almost hot, sulfur spring and sweltering in the greenish water, while the wind drifted the steam about overhead. There are plenty of these sulfur springs in the Rockies, but this chanced to be the only one on Wahab's range. He lay in it for over an hour. Then, feeling that he had had enough, he heaved his huge bulk up on the bank and realized that he was feeling remarkably well and supple. The stiffness of his hind leg was gone. He shook the water from his shaggy coat. A broad ledge in full sun-heat invited him to stretch himself out and dry. But first he reared against the nearest tree and left a mark that none could mistake. True, there were plenty of signs of other animals using the sulfur bath for their ills, but what of it? Thenceforth, that tree bore this inscription in a language of mud, hair, and smell that every mountain creature could read. My bath keep away. Signed Wahab. Wahab lay on his belly till his back was dry, then turned on his broad back and squirmed about in a ponderous way till the broiling sun had wholly dried him. He realized that he was really feeling very well now. He did not say to himself, I am troubled with that unpleasant disease called rheumatism and sulfur bath treatment is a thing to cure it. But what he did know was... I have dreadful pains. I feel better when I am in this stinking pool. So thenceforth he came back whenever the pains began again, and each time he was cured. End of Part 2